Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Sniper Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Yo. And freelance writer critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello. Staying alive. So we're going to be doing a little bit of discussion on the podcast, a little bit, a lot of discussion about spoilers for a particular film that is out in cinemas that everyone's talking about. Tenet, of course, the new Nolan movie. We covered non-spoilers last week, and we're going to be doing a little bit of our non-spoilers discussion later in the program because Virat has had a chance to see it, which will lead us into our spoiler discussion on the podcast. And we're just going to be talking about, now that cinema's opening up a little bit more, what else has been playing? We're seeing some of the classics, some obscure choices. Uh, there's been a Fellini retrospective of the Ritz. First of all, we wanted to talk about the sad film news of the week, which is obviously the death of Chad Person at 43, which no one was aware that he was sick. And he passed away this week. His family announced it. His tweet announcing it has been the most liked tweet in the history of Twitter. I was taking a tweet by Barack Obama. We just reviewed The Five Bloods earlier in the year. We talked about Black Panther, his contributions to the broader Avengers universe um, last year and the year before. And yeah, this has had an impact, I think, broader than love for the films he's been in and his particular filmography. And this just puts a lot of his films, particularly Defy Bloods, into much stronger resonance. Yeah, this was, for me, the most shocking kind of um, celebrity death since Paul Walker, in the sense that it was somebody who was headlining a major blockbuster series that is beloved, seemingly, by everyone at the moment, dying completely when no one saw it coming, except Bozeman was much more respected as an actor. You know, Bozeman had a lot of praise for a lot of uh, you know serious acting roles that, to be honest, I haven't seen. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I think when it talk- that's that's been the takeaway that I need to go and check out his filmography and give it a bit more yeah. due diligence. Yeah, I, I saw a little bit of Marshall on TV um, a few weeks back. I haven't seen Forty Two. You know, I need to watch these things before I can speak to him as an actor more broadly. Everyone knows if they've listened to this show that I'm not much of a fan of the Marvel films. I thought he was fine in them, but you know, he has a lot of praise for a much broader filmography that I have no experience in. But the actual impact of the death in terms of the shock is clearly being felt. Um, no one knew that he had cancer at all. I, I think that's, that's been the biggest takeaway. It's the fact that he's been filming very physically intensive scenes, you know, clearly. And Between surgeries. Yeah, and just doing that, it's and no one knew about it. It's yeah, it was just I had to basically read the news at least four or five times and confirming every half an hour. Yeah, because yeah, I, I read it was a hoax. I really yeah, I, it, was I, hoax. it was the same for me. It was like Chadwick Boseman dies. I, I what? I saw the announcement, and my immediate thought was, um, I didn't know he was sick, and obviously this hadn't been that public. It's unclear. Well, no, no one's actually come out to my knowledge and said we were aware of this. So certainly, it's very possible that. Um, he kept this from his compadres in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that's why I reckon they didn't know it was his right. And it, and it's incredible to look back at these films that are physically strenuous, and knowing that he did this between, as Brad said, very very intensive surgeries. Um, of all the films that uh, we've covered, I think he's my favorite performance of his that is in Defy Bloods. It was really moving, and I think the best performance of the film, as we discussed only a couple of months ago, and. It brings that into a new light. I wanted to see the new Black Panther film. We just covered it a couple of years ago when it came out. I think he had a lot more scope to develop the character and his performance in this universe. I would love to have seen what else he could have done with the character. Certainly Black Panther was one of the better Marvel films. And just to see the broader impact he's had, there's a beautiful photo that's gone viral. Um, the father was interviewed at CNN on his, his 10-year-old son lining up with all the Marvel figures outside his garage and saluting with them. It was beautiful. Many tributes like that are out there. I think, yeah, we haven't really seen anything with Boseman as Black Panther written after the enormous success of the first film. In terms of writing, I don't think he really had that much to do in the first Black Panther, especially compared with Michael B. Jordan. He really didn't have um, anything to do, basically, in the Avengers films. But I think it's clear that if there were to be another Black Panther, they would have given him much yeah. more significant material. And I think the, the, the other thing that's probably come to light is the kind of cultural significance beyond his filmography that and how Panther he's now. actually 
paved the way for other actors and, and you know, other diverse and African-American actors as well. Uh, you know, the story that how Denzel Washington basically uh, helped him uh, in his acting career, in, you know, unknowingly because he didn't know him, but helped finance his acting school was a very touching oh. story as well. Uh, and they got to meet and sort of thing. So it's interesting how there's a paid forward kind of thing that's happened uh, in, in his legacy. And he's basically kept that spirit alive by helping other African-American actors really come to the fore as well. So I think cool. that has really touched a lot of people. Well, yeah, you're right, Virat. Um, he does clearly have a great symbolic significance. I think that's why his death is shocking people and resonating quite, I mean, it would under any circumstances, but I think he has been come in, in this role to be seen as an icon of black power. And I think given the circumstances in America at the moment, I, I don't know, I think it, people are taking this really as a gut punch. Like here was this mainstream beloved black superhero who represents an idea of black and African pride. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's the other thing, right? Especially with so many negative uh, representations of African-American culture on screen, suddenly you have a black superhero. I think Black Panther works within the imagery that, and the typical archetypal iconic imagery of many a superhero and particularly many within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. However, the character, not just for the name, but for the iconography, it, it perpetuates and it furthers, is intrinsically tied to a history of, um, of African-American history and of protest. And certainly importantly to me as an African myself, of how we often do not perceive, perceive Africa perceived and represented in the world. And so it was so wonderfully here. It was so nice to see, like in a film, like Coming to America or others, a version of Africa which not many people get to see and which many often in respects aspire to. And that is what Wakanda represents, what Black Panther represents. And it's very important to so many out there. And I'm glad that Boseman had such a, a lot of it was on here, had such a central role in furthering this and will for, for so, such a longer time. Black Panther, I think, was culturally interesting because it's such a 60s creation it goes back to like the 60s ideas of a big push for reviving african pride 60s um civil rights era frustration and anger at america and let's define ourselves as african rather than as americans there was a big movement towards that and the black panther comic clearly seems you know tied to that it's like it, this Afrofuturism kind it was of wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wakanda, you guys did it. You did it. But yeah, it was interesting, um, you know, to bringing that character into the present in a film that connects him with the, you know, the, this African pride idea um, versus the Killmonger character who was pushing for a kind of international black solidarity. Um, I, I just I found that interesting. Yeah, we've spoken. We spoke about this when we talk about Black Panther. I guess this constitutes a minor spoiler for Black Panther, but hey, you've probably seen the film by now. With and if you haven't, you should have. If with yes, Black Panther exists in many archetypes of superhero, but particularly Marvel superheroes. But in all these films, it's always good guy fighting bullies. This was slightly different. He Black Panther had a lot to learn from Killmonger's approach and from other approaches and actually unlike most core superheroes had a moral arc and that's not something you get to see portrayed in these sorts of films Boseman handled it exceptionally well and I wanted to see what I, they could do with another one yeah I don't, I don't want to make Chadwick Boseman's eulogy into a rehash of my gripes with Black Panther but broadly I, I would say that he didn't have the most this interesting dramatic arc in that film I liked it. I certainly liked it more than any of the superhero arcs in any of the other Marvel films. Oh, yeah. It was definitely better. Hiring a real director and allowing him to write. It was a good Marvel film. Uh, Yeah, we can can leave it at that. But (laughs) probably the more important thing about it is, uh, you know, it's so physically taxing uh, to to do all that while you, you know, battling something like cancer. And, you know, I know a lot of people have commented online now that... Crazy. Some of that is vis- was visible, but actually, no. 
Not really. It wasn't. And I could see the physical transformations from like, because he was bulking up and then thinning down again. That is very hard to do uh, in, in, in real life anyway, regardless of when you were battling something like cancer. So I just, I just don't know. I mean, it, oh, it's absolutely insane. kind of strength. I don't know. It's a shame that we're never going to have the tell-all interviews where he explains how he got through it. There's a pretty crushing interview extract that I saw doing the rounds on Twitter where um, he was asked about the physical training and the bulking up and the getting, you know, well, for um, shooting Black Panther. And he said, oh, you have no idea. One day I'll live to tell the story. Oh, man. Um, but I think you have to have that optimism that you're going to get through it to go through the, that ridiculous physical endurance. Um, I think he took a chance to play Black Panther and why wouldn't you, you know? Yeah. Would Disney have cast him had they known? It sounds like no one, no one knew from the sound of it except for maybe a very select few people. Would, uh -huh. would Disney have allowed this guy to be cast knowing that there's a significant chance he would have to be recast in the next few years? Probably not. But screw Disney, <laughs> you know, like if you've got one life to live and you can play <laughs> Black Panther, I would say, yeah, I'm playing Black Panther. Yeah. Well, I don't know what live happened to the there. fullest. I don't know what happened in that front, but hey, he was cast for a reason and he was yeah. great. And they made the right call casting him. They did. Yeah. We and need to, we need to watch more of his films. I need, I, apparently he's really good in 42. His new film coming up on, on Netflix, My Rainey's Black Bottom, apparently he, he gives a really good performance. Advanced word is very strong. So... I think that'll be a, a nice way to remember him. Yeah, it's going to be a hard watch, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just want to talk about some of the things that are happening. First of all, around town, Static Vision are having their 22nd week of screenings on Friday night. Queer Screen are going online. They are running from the 7th till the 17th online. Um, Kino Sydney are coming up. You can get your flicks in for Sydney's open mic film night. And yeah. Is that a Monday? That is coming up um, not next Monday but Monday after just a little bit of a heads up, heads up to start shooting and otherwise yeah I think we're seeing also on the festival front there's a few that are going online a few that are postponing and a few that are looking at particularly in rural areas doing screenings obviously a lot of institutions cinemas included are having to decide now do we go ahead with limited screenings we've discussed in previous weeks how the Fellini retrospective has gone as is the Hitchcock retrospective to the Bond retrospective at the Ritz Babs Fest sorry they've got a Barbara Streisand retrospective at the Ritz now and which is great because whenever I mention this to people or I'm at the Ritz and we walk past the poster everyone says but why Barbara Streisand I mean, Barbara Streisand. Yeah, exactly. I've seen, I've seen Yentl and Funny Girl was great. Well, now you can watch The Mirror Has Two Faces and uh, a bunch of other things. But no, you should see, go see What's Up, Doc. Two Faces is good. I and haven't you seen see it. Hello, Dolly. It's, it's great. Hello, Dolly's coming up. Uh, Funny Girl was playing like a couple of days ago. <sighs> yeah, What's Up, Doc is great. I watched that late last year. Um, and great, great tribute to screwball comedies. So... Okay. Why are they like they've done the diehards? Yeah, exactly. Why? Busters. Why? I mean, Barbara's Barbara Streisand. It's like it's someone, someone in programming <laughs> just had a brainwave. I think. Or someone <laughs> said, guys, guys, this is our time. We're doing a Barbara retrospective. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. Yeah, it's like maybe there was a um, group of people who put put it forward persuasively. Like we promise, we're going to buy at least fifteen to twenty tickets to every session if you program a Barbara Streisand retrospective. No, the, and they're like, all right, no, maybe no. this is starting to look feasible. No, no, <laughs> the thing is, I think because Barbara Streisand is mainstream enough, but I would probably categorize her mainstream to Cliff more as a singer than as an actor. So uh, yeah, you know, tell me Barbara's uh, great. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, she's more popular as a singer, obviously. But she, had, she has a lot of successful films. I mean, they probably just went through one of those um, bingo things and said, all right, we need an actress that has a B and an S in their initials. What were the other choices? Barbara. No, um, that's, that's unfair. She's great. <clears throat> I think... Better than having a Jennifer Lopez retrospective. Like, look, Hustlers jiggly. was okay. Yeah, on the subject of Barbara Streisand, I heard a juicy rumor the other day. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie... Uh, rumor is that Alana Haim is playing Barbara Streisand. But what is, what is PTA's new movie about? No one knows, but it's, it seems to revolve around things that could involve Barbara Streisand because it's got Alana Haim, who looks the part, and it's got Bradley Cooper playing 
John oh, Peters. Oh, he's still alive. Okay. Bradley Cooper. I, 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 Bradley I didn't know. Yeah, I, I didn't know Star's Bradley Cooper was doing anything. Yeah. What a, what a thing to say. In he, ages. He just made a movie relatively recently. Yeah, it was that, but before that, it was this joy with Jennifer Lawrence. So, like, it seems like it's a big yeah, hiatus. He spent three years making A Star Is Born, directing, writing, producing, well, starring it. Um, speaking of musical biopics, okay, I, um, no, I need to talk about. I must. I must talk about the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. <laughs> Bradley Cooper is playing John Peters. John Peters is the famous uh, hairdresser slash producer of Barbara Streisand. In, he started as Barbara Streisand's hairdresser and that was his in into Hollywood. And if you've ever watched uh, Kevin Smith's famous speech about his time making Superman, John Peters is a guy who's really into spiders. Anyway, Bradley Cooper's playing that guy. Okay, that's so, a good actor. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, the, the spider speech? I don't? No. Oh man, I thought no. you guys would be in on this. I've, okay, no. I need to link you guys. And I, I, there should be a shout out to everyone listening to this on the radio. Look up on YouTube. It's up in two parts. <laughs> Kevin Smith talks about Superman. It's like Kevin Smith describing his time working on Superman Returns. And it's one of the, uh, or Superman Lives, I think it was called. Superman in those Lives, days. yeah. Yeah. And it's one of, it's just, it's the funniest Kevin Smith thing. His natural way of telling the story is so funny. Um, and it's also just a great nutty encapsulization of Hollywood. And John Peters sounds like a weird, weird character. Once you've listened to that, the idea of Bradley Cooper playing him with ridiculous 70s hair and outfit sounds great. Yeah. I, I, so just as a brief segue, just have to see on YouTube, we talked a lot earlier about Chadwick Boseman's dramatic filmography, and he's a very good dramatic actor. However, some of the best work he's ever done was in a sketch for a Black Jeopardy sketch on Saturday Night Live, which you watched on the weekend, which as T'Challa, which is pure gold. So if you feel like it's been a bit of a shitty week and something a bit funny to perk you up and it's, it's well worth the time, go look up the Black Jeopardy sketch. Yeah, the original Karen before, before Karens were cool. Now, you know, this is the OG reference to Karen. In that yeah. Sketch. <laughs> is this Karen actually the source? The yeah, the it, yeah. It's it's the earliest reference to Karen in its modern parlance that I've seen. Yeah. This was like three years ago. This potato salad. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Karens were a thing. Mm. Back then. So th- this probably is the source, huh? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Good, good on you, Senator. That no, I haven't. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty great. Although it's actually one of the best recurring sketches SNL have ever done. That and the other Celebrity Jeopardy. Um, speaking of celebrity and music biopics, do we really need more? Apparently Madonna and a couple of, uh, I saw that Madonna biopic. Uh, yeah. Julia, the the rumor is Julia Garner. Madonna's story is pretty interesting. Um, I, I've all, of any musical biopic, Madonna is probably the one that I'd be more interested in than of recent pop icons. As long as it's not the same as Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody and every single other music biopic. Yeah, that's the thing. Like on paper, when you say a Madonna biopic, I think, ah, that could be interesting. But I guarantee you, once I see the trailer, I'm going to say, why? It's hitting all the notes. It's doing all the things. And and it's going to be called Vogue or it's going to be called... Oh, yeah, or Material Girl. Yeah, oh, actually, it's Material Girl probably makes more sense. Um, Julia Garner would be good. For those who she was in Grandma, she plays Ruth in Ozark. She's amazing. But look, Madonna's already had her biopic. This was the video she filmed in the bathtub, but she's just sitting there contemplating her privilege as the <laughs> pandemic is taking over. I thought that was that was the funniest thing I've ever seen in 2020. But anyway. Was uh, this like one of those celebrity... I vaguely remember this. I didn't see this. Is this one of those celebrity dummy spit kind of things? Like, um, no, no, like no, that in the Imagine video? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah but no, this, this, is, this is actually more heartfelt. This is Madonna trying I'm to without mentioning this video, Chris, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> now I feel sick. <laughs> no, it, it actually, it, it was nice and sincere. It was just very, very saccharine. It was just very Madonna. It was just so Madonna. It was like, I'm in a bathtub with all her Christian, Christian uh, symbolism and wearing the cross and with like rose petals. And I'm just like... She's too out of touch this? now. That's the yeah. problem. You know, you can't be a megastar of that stature for that many decades. And sort of like a dog on the pulse. Videos. I, I think it's just impossible to do. And she's yeah. been at it a long, long time. Yeah. But she was just trying to be contemplative, be like, there's a pandemic outside. What are we doing here? What are we doing on this earth? And I was right. just like, oh my God. Well, fortunately, the Madonna biopic will probably be focused on Madonna in the 80s. Yeah, and yeah. 90s. Which, no, no, um, Chris. Like every biopic, it's going to cover their entire life and span their uh, entire history. 
they're walking off into a white screen no. and then have their <laughs> rehab and have the early years where they're struggling to um, uh, be themselves. And she's going to have that moment where she discovers um, where she was like a virgin. This is the greatest song ever. I'm going to learn to play this. And yeah. <laughs> who do people actually want to see a biopic of aside from Madonna? Like I would have seen Elton John, but then I was so, so wrong. I have a Janis Joplin is know. one that they've been struggling I, yeah. with for a long time. Oh, well, 30 Rock tried. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know any any other Madonna songs apart from Vogue and Material Girl. So really, yeah. Madonna. Aside from what? Really, uh, Material Girl and uh, and Vogue. The I'm going to. You don't know Madonna's songs. I think yeah, the episode Punish You. Oh, right. oh man, yeah. Punish yeah. You. We're going to like a prayer. We don't need to okay, name them all. I, I I'm just like going to okay, put okay, a bunch yeah, of them yeah, in this episode yeah. just to punish yeah. you. Okay, I, I know like a prayer. Yeah, that's fine. I've never been the biggest Madonna fan, but she has some great great songs yeah she, I will she's great I, I honestly in, in a lot of ways i think she's not in terms of stature she shouldn't be ranked uh that much further behind michael jackson allegations and controversies aside speaking purely um in re- with regard to her stature as a songwriter and a singer i don't think she should be placed that far below michael jackson i think she has some great hits from the 80s especially yeah in the 90s, she had some great good songs too, like Frozen. Yeah, Fro- Frozen's beautiful. Yeah, it was really good. Um, but yeah, we, we, we would, I got onto this strange tangent from talking about the Babs Fest at the Ritz, right? I like we've, that we've gone sh- down the Barbara Streisand rabbit hole of film. I, yeah, <laughs> I like that both you of you want to see a retrospective of, right? I like that both of you had the same reaction of why <laughs> to the Babs Fest. Everyone, everyone reacts that way, but. Um, yeah, the Ritz have been doing some great there stuff. There's a core Barbara Streisand crowd. Yeah, um, the the Ritz, as you said uh, earlier, they've been doing some great stuff. Like the Fellini retrospective, as you mentioned before, has gone from being, you know, my reaction when I saw it originally was like, "Where's Knights of Kiberia? So they played Knights of Kiberia last night because the COVID thing is going on longer than anyone had bargained for. So yeah, Knights of Kiberia got added with the beautiful new restoration. It looked amazing, and now the retrospective's been extended to showing every single Fellini film. They're filling in all the gaps of the films they haven't shown yet. And as was said in the introduction speech, this is a very, very rare thing. It's not even in Italy very often that you would see a retrospective featuring every single film directed by Fellini. Because a lot of these aren't particularly well-liked films when we're getting to the latter stages of his career, which means that it's impossible for you to get a hold of them sometimes and make up your own mind. Some of these films are rarely seen at all these days. So yeah, it's a great opportunity. I wonder how many people are going to turn up for the, the Fellini films no one especially likes. Um, but I love that the Ritz are taking this gamble. I'll, I'll be there for as many as I, I can. Mean, I mean, not liking is a different thing altogether. Knowing about them is another thing. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people don't, don't know even people know these films. Know, yeah, be like, oh, is this by Fellini? And maybe they'll give it a yeah. chance because they'll be like, oh, I like Fellini films. I like Dol- Dolce Vita. So they might go with that perspective and give it a chance, yeah. which could work out. Hopefully. And um, because a lot of his letter stuff is being reappraised uh, now. So this gives you that opportunity. Um, the Ritz- There's a new Orson Welles oh. film also coming out soon, apparently. What? Yeah, I, I read in the grapevine. Uh, there's a new Orson Welles uh, unreleased well, uh, there was one. The Other Side of the Wind a few years yeah. ago, but like another? No, another one. Uh, huh. I've just read uh, recent reports on IndieWire. I'm not sure what the status is or where things are going. Yeah, um, I'll believe it when I see it because <laughs> The Other Side of the Wind took a long time to actually be released. Yeah. Um, it, that, that was stuck in rights hell for a long, long time. Um, as pertains to the other Orson Welles films, I don't think there's many in a good enough state to really release them. That's like, true. Um, the other side but of I'm the wind. But I was still very happy to see the other side of the wind. I mean, there was enough I was too, there. Yeah. 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 There was enough there that they could finish that. But most of the other ones, as I understand it, there's chunks missing. It's, it's all a bit all over the place. But yeah, going back to the, the, the Ritz, they're great. I, the last couple of days before we recorded this show, I saw on, uh, in, on Monday night, um, Grand Illusion, and on Tuesday night, Knights of Kiberia. It really doesn't get any better than that for cinema. Last week, I saw Belle de Jour. They're playing... Okay, I've seen all these movies before. However, the chance to see them on the big screen is a special event, I think. Um, I, as we were talking about before we started recording the show, Glenn made the point that you see Die Hard all the time. 
at the cinema. You know, you see the Goonies all the time when it comes to these retro screenings. I think it's it's great that in cinema, someone beyond the art gallery of New South Wales is taking a chance on uh, films from the 30s, you know, um, foreign films, stuff that rarely screens. Um, So I would encourage you, if you love film and uh, you feel safe, congregating with people in public. I will say on that note that the Ritz are very good in terms of space social people distancing, out and yeah, social yeah. distancing. Yeah. And they're um, playing cats. So um, everyone, cat. um, what you come to cats. On this Friday night, wear your biggest, most absurd cats costume. And that way people will just have to social distance from you. Right. And uh, that could be the safest screening you go to yeah. this year. The cat screening could be really fun. <laughs> I, I, I wonder if we're already at that point where cats would have the cult crowd rock up for it. Maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah, we are. We need, of cats. We, we, we need to remember reverence of the good times before 2020 hit. <laughs> right, right. When, when is, we were all enjoying cats. This is what life was like in the, in the 2019 nether. Yeah. But um, yeah. I, 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 I think we almost are. I, I think we're on the cusp of cats becoming the new midnight horror The room. Room-esque. Uh, but, but the cats has that sing-along quality. Yeah, which the room does not. And Rocky Horror does. That's true. But Rocky, but Rocky Horror, Rocky Horror always be better because Rocky Horror is just a genuinely good film. I strongly disagree. The second but half yeah, gets second a little half, boring. The but... second half is the boring. The first half is a lot of fun. Yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe we should find about uh, which musicals are actually worth our time uh, well, most... at, at some point in time. Yeah, uh, the new musicals... West Side Story coming out soon, prospectively. Yeah, we'll see when it gets released, maybe at the end of the year. But um, yeah, go. But what I was trying to say before is it's amazing that all these cinematic treasures are being given new life, it, often in beautiful 4K projection. I, I agree. Ritz, I mean, all the, the, the as well, art gallery, is, stuff, doing, the, the the art gallery are, is doing the film Redux series. Yes, the art gallery have started screening um, their retrospective sessions again. On yeah. There's no Wednesday 7.15 p.m. sessions. Yeah. It's, it's just 2 p.m. Sun, this Sunday, they're doing Salam Cinema by Makmabov, which is great. Uh, one of my favorite films. I'm going to be I've there never on seen Sunday. It. I've never seen it. Yeah, but, okay. So I'm going. I'm going I'll, so I'll, join. I'll, yeah, I'll come. I like, I like yeah. Makmabov. It's only 70 minutes. So it's a pretty short uh, film. Yeah, awesome. Is it screening with a shot or something? Yeah, screening with the short. Cool. So that's something you could check out. Go own. and see these things. Vote with yes. your wallet. Tell tell the cinemas it's that free. we want no, more of free. this stuff. So that's free. Yes, go to the art gallery. But they all have no trouble packing out the, those the cinemas. Um, yeah, no, they're not packing out, but um, packing out as actually, much as they can. Actually, um, but they don't fact, have trouble packing them out back in the pre-COVID era. Um, for all the um, all the creative organisations that are getting guidelines about how to social distance, they're based on the Art Gallery of New South Wales' guidelines. So they're the ones who are um, out there saying, they've put the template, but here's how creative organisations and museums and whatnot can do social distance. So they know what they're doing. Nice. Um, but yeah, go see. Yeah. Go Go see. see these things which you otherwise can't see. That's right. Or will not get a chance to see. Yeah, yeah see. exactly. It's special to see films in the cinema. Yeah. I mean, it, COVID that, that way has been a boon because, you know, this empty slot has suddenly given uh, programmers uh, much more flexibility and much more creativity and, and a chance to screen things which otherwise in a regular schedule, in a regular mm. lineup, probably anything, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't get to see. Yeah. Look, if anything, my cinema year has been probably greatly improved versus what it would have been if all the regular 2020 films had came out. Like oh I said, God. <laughs> Grand Illusion and Knights of Kiberia, and it was a one-two punch in consecutive days. Does yeah. it actually get any better? Fast and Furious 9, Chris. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, sorry, you're right. Matt, you're right. Yeah, that, that no, no, but but, e- but even in terms of film Fight Club, the fact that we could do so many retrospective director kind of filmographies yeah. uh, for our show. That would yeah, have been some of my favorite. Tom Cruise, go look it up. <laughs> but the the Ritz kind of um, aren't playing by our rules because they did a, a mini Billy Wilder retrospective like a month after we did our episode. And I said, that's not fair. That's okay. They were probably listening to our episode. So right, right, right. People so listening at the Ritz. They're like, now you can you. go and see these films on the big screen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, go see these movies. We're going to be continuing in the podcast talking all things Tenet and spoilers for Tenet. So you've been warned if you're, we warned you again in the podcast. But anyway, seek us out on iTunes and Spotify. We'll be back next week and enjoy movies. Um, go to the cinema if you feel safe doing so. Go Otherwise, see cats, I guess. To see cats. I watch a lot of these <laughs> things, including cats. God help us. Our streaming. Have a nice night. Have a safe night. Enjoy movies wherever you are and enjoy life.
Good night. Good night. Night. You need to be educated. You need to listen to I, I, I do, I do. Then Frozen. Then like... Frozen, actually. Those are the good songs. I'm going to have that as the transition song when we Frozen. And I might open the episode. Like, <laughs> when when your heart's not open. Yeah, I'm going to just like fill it with Madonna songs. Oh, God, Barat. Um, <laughs> oh, Open Your Heart, man. Nope, never heard it. She, she, wow. I, mean, I feel like Madonna is. She has like maybe a dozen great songs and the rest I'm, I don't care about. But she has it's the same of Michael Jackson. Jackson. That's what I was saying. She should be considered on the same stature of Michael Jackson. Is Michael like, Jackson but really that great? But he has a few more and they're better. Look, the, the Motown like, the stuff. The entire Thriller album is great. I don't think Thriller anyone has a yeah. full album worth of like good songs. Maybe not. I have like one or two across albums, like, you know, one or two in each album. Like which the singles. Yeah, singles. So, I mean, with, with Michael Jackson, after though, outside of Thriller, does he uh, maybe off the wall? Does he have like we're not going to count the Motown stuff that isn't Michael bad, Jackson bad solo? Bad, bad was pretty good. I like bad. bad Smooth Criminals is best song, and it was covered better by Alien Ant Farm. Oh, it was not. <laughs> yeah, it's Alien Ant Farm version. Is no, better it was than not. Michael Jackson version. Just so you know, this is the opening of the podcast, so everyone's going to know what you think believe about Alien Ant Farm. Are you ready to stand by? Yeah, it's fine. I, I, it was amazing. I, I, I will I, die I, on the hill. I, Glenn, do you also believe that Fallout Boy covered Beat It Better than the original? I don't think I've heard the Fallout Boy version. Okay. And, and I don't know who that is. Um, <laughs> wow. so, okay. <laughs> all right. Tenet. <laughs> Should we okay, talk so Tenet? this movie, Tenet. We're uh, doing spoilers. We're, just, we're, we're, we're going to clear. do spoilers. This is a no-holds-barred spoilers discussion for the Christopher Nolan film Tenet, you have been warned. Before we start discussing spoilers, Virat, what did you think? Yes. Okay. Uh, and you can spoil I, it as you do because I, I, we have I know, that luxury. But, but the thing is, uh, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was the fact that I this was the first movie I saw in cinema since March. And it was a nice, big spectacle. Uh, I had the same issues that Chris had with sound mixing and trying to comprehend dialogues. Why? Why does he do this? Someone <laughs> last night asked me, um, okay, so Tenet, how's the sound mix? And it's like, yeah, you can't hear people. Sometimes they're wearing masks, and, and, you can't hear them. Sometimes and and this was exacerbated in this movie because, like, uh. at least for one third of the film, someone or the other is wearing a mask of some kind. Or it's either an oxygen Wear mask, a mask or just not when the, the thing is, where, the, ADR dialogue. is a thing. Sound mixing is very precise. Wearing a mask yeah. should not be a reason that you can't hear what someone's saying. And there are scenes where people aren't wearing masks where you also can't hear what people I mean, are saying. This, what is Nolan's thing? The Does sound he like of the, the power waves. over his audience, like yeah, 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 you can't understand that, can you? You're gonna, you're gonna, <laughs> you're gonna watch that again. We're gonna create an impression. To understand? Yes. I, I've got you. In the beginning, the scene in the boat, the sound of the waves was louder than the dialogue, and I'm just like, this makes no sense. He does. He does it every time. He pushes the sound effects louder than the dialogue to the extent that you cannot hear it. And you know, last night. Watching Knights of Kaviria at the Ritz, I was unfortunately up against the back wall and Tenet was playing next door. So periodically through the film, the, the wall would just rattle. Yeah. You, when you could tell he was doing he was doing his classic Nolan bass farts. Yeah. It gets better later in the film. The first half, it's just a little jarring. I think he's trying to, I'm not saying this is an excuse. I think it's poorly done. I think yeah. he's trying to create an impression rather than inform the narrative and create an aesthetic experience. I don't think that it was the time in a film that is so dense, but also when it's imperceptible to the point that it brings you out of the film rather than creating a milieu in which to enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I really, really enjoyed the first half. I enjoyed the setup a lot. The spy uh, movie stuff. I, the, the spy movie stuff. It was very Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It was very much. It's also very James Bond, things. right? Yeah, it's like yeah, more James serious Bond. James Bond. Yeah, it, it felt like John David Washington felt like he was embodying, uh, you know, George Smiley and 
Jason Bourne in in one kind of a mix, which mm. is which is a nice thing to kind of thing. I mean, but he doesn't have the gravitas to actually pull it off, but he has the physicality to do so. So I did buy him in the action sequences quite a lot. It was actually wonderful to see how he could do that. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool, sorry, because I thought my earphones just died. That's no, okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so that was a lot of fun, uh, but I was really thankful for Robert Pattinson because he was the only saving grace in terms of humor in the film, and boy, this film needed a bit more humor. It was yeah. so self-serious. All the bloody it's very time. serious. And it feels very like, dark. It makes like the massively serious tone that Nolan brings to things means that when you just go through the general, like here's the bit where the bad guy is, is more on top part of a movie um, of that happens in every blockbuster. But usually you just sit down and you're like, yeah, it's fine. It but feels it, crushingly it, it, dark. It's like, so, oh God. <laughs> like that role is for, is a Bond villain. It's Gary Oldman and Hitman's bodyguard, but he's yeah. taken so goddamn seriously. Mm. Like when he said like, there should be at least a tinge of humor to a line like, I am a god, but yeah. Nolan is treating everything really seriously. Um, but yeah, the, Washington the, sucks at the, at the quips and he yeah. sucks at the bits where it's time to like sincerely emote. It was Pattinson nails both of them and it's just, yeah. why is Robert Pattinson I mean, not the lead? I mean, the, one of the, the most sincere emotions or sincere scenes in the film or the moments in the film is with Robert Pattinson. I mean, yeah. the, the, the final sequence was probably yeah. the only time I felt anything emotionally. Me too. Me too. You know, apart, apart from oh, that, but it was so that... staged. Like, don't worry, we'll see each other again. Yeah, yeah, but when? Don't worry, I'll see you again. But I have to walk over to the sunset. But wait, sorry, there's a sunset waiting for me. I have to go. I still thought it was I, nice. I, I, but I was, I was glad it was shot from uh, uh, John David Washington's point of view. So we were mostly seeing Robert Pattinson because if it was a reverse shot and John David Washington <laughs> had to emote that, I would be like, Boss, dude, your face has no emotion. You are he's bad. You he just, just like he's wooden. He's really wooden when you see him trying about like, hey, I'm a dashing spy, and here's my uh, quips. But may, may, like, maybe, 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 doing, maybe man? that was a, that was a brief that he's so stoic and he's basically, you know, being roughened up by the spy world. So I but he has to be that. a cool guy as well in this movie, and he doesn't do it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he doesn't. He so does he, not do he it. He has the only arc he has is. It's the Exy arc. I don't like stuffy double-breasted suits. Oh, but now I do because I'm now a super cool spy. No, that was yeah. the one thing with Michael Caine. Over I, 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 in I, I, and why? I, it's just... Michael Caine was funny. Side, it's so extraneous. But the whole thing of like Nolan, the stuffiest Englishest guy ever, and now I'm, now I'm LA. I'm going to do jokes about... Brit oh, I'm the Brit stuffy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Like, like the, the bit where he's carrying the tea through the safe, in the suit that's nolan like if that that, yeah. that that is him um as mentioned last week the hilarious footage of uh Chris nolan at a rap uh gig i think it was MC. right yeah granted i can't name the honest but yeah but he was like <laughs> bopping weirdly you were telling yeah, me that. God, that would be me too don't worry but right. i but 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 nolan's trying to say no no i'm the with all the all of the cool kids I like all of the cool kids. The, the no, th but... thing, I still overall, even though I, it, it's fun to diss this film, I still overall look at it like, this is cool. You know, we, this, this is, is an- I enjoyed this more than Interstellar and Dunkirk. Oh, dude, for sure. I would say this is definitely his best movie since Inception. Um, yeah, I don't I think can, it's I quite as it. good as Inception, but not that far off. It's still um, more fun than Inception. Like, you know, I like the- Maybe, similarly. The, the action is much more coherent in terms of- The action in this is really good. Yeah. Um, Nolan, son, Nolan has gone leaps and bounds as an action director. I, I would and say it's fun like just because the highest format works better there. Because they're all, but, but they're all like working the towards a much more well. clear common goal and they all have different tasks yeah. where here it's all just a little jumbled. I agree. But still, I, I did find structurally it was easier for me to- buy into the action because of the setup in how everything was established in the first half and when things did get inverted uh, it was logical in the way that the action was set up so like it was still and the shtick didn't get old so that was also, yeah there was enough enough variety in there for me to be like okay cool so this is not this way this is not this way yeah yeah i like that the film takes its time with um setting up 
the world before any crazy sci-fi yeah, stuff. Yeah, it, it didn't treat it like a gimmick, which is great. Like it, it did it's sort of like we're gonna build this up, we're gonna tell you the the rules. There's gonna be an mm-hmm. info dump, which is classic in every Nolan movie. Everyone's gonna to try to explain you with philosophical meaning about what it is all about, what time travels yeah. means for the humanity and meaning of life and the grandfather's paradox, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, you know Which we're not going to address. We'll pretend yeah. we'll address it by not addressing it. <laughs> No, no, we, it, we will, we will address not address it. it by addressing it. Okay, it does address it. This is, the, this is really the spoiler territory. The, the film, it takes the Star Trek Discovery approach where time doesn't, if something already has already happened and that it seems to imply that if someone goes back in time, the previous timeline where all they'd actually gone back in time ceases to exist. So that's okay, but it still doesn't address some of the intricacies paradoxes that this film implies because it seems to indicate that there are or otherwise have been times where that hasn't happened but then again the bit in the airplane just where see himself uh, where the bit to be he's jumping off the ship it seems to have all happened but then that takes out but it takes away the idea of fate you can create your own fate which is a driving force of the film so that's where the contradiction lies and it takes away i think some dramatic effects of the movie again I, i'm happy to re-watch it and the movie in but that's right it's between like help. you must create your own fate but also you must accept the hand that's given to you we had some discussion um on the weekend where i was saying i, I feel like part of the reason why this film is um being released now in terms of covid yeah, is because it's got the pandemic kind of uh metaphor it, yeah that's right it, it, fate because it's you know yeah it's a, the, things happen still that fine, part of the plan fine, and yeah. and along the way in the mission when they run into these freaks of nature um weird obstacles robert pattinson is is who knows the deal of this kind of thing just says we have to just go with the mission we have to just go with the plan we need to just accept that this is the hand that fate dealt us i think nolan probably you know watching a new mix of the film or whatever while thinking about the pandemic probably just thought yeah that that's really true i, I was really onto something there i think we just have to release this film anyway <laughs> but I, don't know. I, I think this is also such a nolan thing to do where uh, clearly, uh, this film is not as clever as Nolan would want us to believe, but uh, because of the pandemic, I think in his mind, he thinks this is taking on an otherworldly meaning, but I don't think it has. But, you know, for Nolan, I think it has, which is why... The spy Nolan movie meets, Bat- meets, yeah. uh, meets Batman, meets Terminator. Watching this, I was thinking like, okay, so this is, we know that Nolan was considered for James Bond, and we know that Nolan loves James Bond. This is Nolan's James Bond, basically, for the first half. And then suddenly I thought this is like bring in Christopher Nolan, hotshot director who made Batman Begins. What's your take on the Terminator? Okay, what if they go back in time by living time backwards and they were moving in reverse? Because otherwise it's it's a Terminator-like concept. But guys, the, it's not about going back to avert the big catastrophe like World War Three, they compare it to World War Three by sending people back in time to correct mistakes in the past. It's yeah. it's like the, the fresh we, reboot take new imagined version reimagined Terminator. No. But don't ask too many questions because we don't quite know how people in the present uh, are discovering things from the future and how they're encountering yeah. these objects and, and they have these other qualities and whatever. Yeah, there's a big so mystery that won't yeah, be The matter of radiation is just very broadly handled because radiation, no one's really clear radiation works. So you can be a little flexible in how the tech is applied. It's not always clear. I just want to touch on something that I talked about in vague terms last week, and that's that the production design and particularly the ending nolan has created this world which is really just meant to evoke a soviet block era world and he uses that terminology that it's a cold war he loves it being in this classic spy thriller type universe Rob mentioned george smiley earlier it's an apt analogy but this takes place in modern day so everything looks exactly the same and even if we go through different countries, Estonia, India, wherever, but more problematically, at the end of the film, he goes into what we are meant to believe is one of these old Russian Soviet secret cities. It looks He's like an Xbox in. level. Yeah. And you know what? These hey, places, they were, compared to other places in Russia, they were opulent and well catered for or well maintained. I was meant to believe that after 30 years after the Cold War ends, that it's just going to be this run down abandoned place. No, it's a place people actually. It's a pile of brown junk. With. 
Yeah, it looks like a video game level. It's absolutely right. It looks yeah. like um, it's kind of a boring place to stage the climax compared to what was going on. In it looks Inception. like the final level of Halo One. Yeah, Inception was yeah. bringing in the interesting visual ideas as we go towards the climax, whereas this suddenly it's like boring. Not even like Halo One. I would say Quake. Thing. Do you guys remember <laughs> Quake? It looks like a bad <laughs> Call of Duty level. <laughs> you give you way too much credit there. But um, we need to talk a little bit about the characters here beyond talking about how bad John David Washington is. Though I have more to say on that. De- yeah, exactly. Debiki is so ridiculously boiled down to being a mother. It's probably the most sexist depiction of the year. The way yeah. it's like, she's but the no woman and she's the mom. Female characters just to save his life. I like, care about, it's fine to care about your kid, but that's the only motivation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right there. There, there was one moment where, where it was like, all life that has ever lived will cease to exist. And she says, including my son? Oh, yes. Oh, no, no, no. He's special. He gets a special exemption where he gets to live in a dark void. You but, but even that, that the stupid, whole, the whole, like, come on. Okay. I, what I that line's not being a character in that moment. Is that was her. That was what she cared about. She was expressing that. The problem but was. That's so stupid. The, 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 the problem <laughs> is that all the men. It's fine for them to save the world because they're men, and we have to save the world for bad guys. With her, it's, I. He hurt me, and my son's gonna die. No, that, that that I need that motivation in order to go on forward. And it's so clearly established that there is an inherent sexism to that. What, you're what, right. What, you're right. What, and also, what, what, her expressing it in that moment was also silly. Like when someone just says everything that lives and everything that ever existed, and she's like, "Yeah, it's like so." So you're saying my son's included in that? Yeah, it's <laughs> like I don't, I don't care about I don't care about the rest of humanity. I care about my son. So like, is he included in this or not? You know? Yeah. But, uh, well, you know, I had what, a. What was funnier was this apparent, uh, apparently complicated uh, design through which, like, ah, oh, this art forgery thing, this Tom- Thomas Crown affair element that was brought in. Which is why yeah. uh, Seder has hold over Debiki's character, and I'm just like, this has which like, never it doesn't have anything to was, do with the plot. This is like but it's cool. Gun. It's interesting. This was Chekhov's gun. It's like it's kept there, but it's never used. And I'm just like, okay. I think he was. Cool. It's just a Bond esque concept. He's like Bond is always about international intrigue Art and the world of luxury. The world of luxury. Yeah. What's something they haven't done before? the art world and the, the art trade and some, you know, he must've been reading about that and thinking how interesting this stuff is. And like, this would be great in a Bond context. Cool. But right. also like, but it I can't imagine anyone having like, you know, oh my God, this person has the forgery and they might out me, so I can't leave them. I'm just like, this is the most ridiculous reason not to leave anyone. Okay, before we go on, I just want to know, on the matter of female characters and lack of training in the film and lack thereof, Tabiki, she gets, nevertheless, even though it's such a limited character, one of the more interesting characters, and she's very, very good. And something I have to give the film credit for, and obviously this is all tended to her, but obviously um, the film was constructed so as to let her shine in some of these regards. It's such it's very a, satisfying seeing it take down to Kenneth Brenner at the end. Oh, yeah. It's such a terrible and recurring trope of spy action thrillers, particularly ones directed by men, that women, especially and more often if they're larger in the frame than men or taller, which more often than not they are. The famous example is Lauren McCall and Humphrey Bogart, where he was much shorter in stature, but he, they would frame it so he, there would always be the same part of man would be slightly taller. Here, she's huge. Things. Elizabeth Tabiki has an amazing frame. She's imposing in, in any scene she's in, and she, she is permitted an opportunity to let that work. There's an amazing sequence where she's sitting in the back of a car and she uses her foot to unlock the front door. Mm-hmm. Um, she towers over anyone in the film, and it's essential to her character and the story that's being told. And she's also just great to watch. She, she really cares about her son because she knows that she needs to pass on the giant genes. It's really, it's really important. I mean, to, to but be honest, she, like, she's I, great I, in this, both her emotive, charismatic, and physical presence, and she and she has opportunity to shine in those regards. I agree. The I thing mean, about, is still good. I'm liking okay, the few of other films. A, yeah, I, I think Debiki still got a better hand than the other female character, which is the it's intro dumb scientist that we that oh, we got uh, in the yeah. movie. She's just there to set up. He's there to set up John David Washington saying, whoa. Matrix. Yeah, let me, let, me just, let me just explain the science. The You're lab. not shooting a bullet. You are catching it. Whoa. Cool. This is James Your Bond is where, where the gadgets involve time travel and she's Q. Yeah. But, you know, fair enough. What if, what if Q was a, good a take. woman? Cool. That's it. That's it. Yep. That's, that's the character. There's nothing else beyond that. There's the other female character, the arms dealer, who's quite good. That's true. Oh, yeah. She was good. Yeah. Yeah. I had oh, a yeah, right. thought. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had a thought the night after I first saw the film that I wanted to see Christopher Nolan's The Automaton 
where it, it's like, it's a movie about a guy who like he, we build a robot who can expertly maneuver his way through an action movie plot. And, and then I was realized, oh, this is my subconscious talking about John David Washington in Tenet because he's so robotic. Yeah. I think that's part of his characterization in a way. Clearly he's yeah. throwing it back me, to me, Neo, yeah. whose role is simply yeah. that I am the, the main character in a lot of ways. And he's quite yeah. a bland face for you to project onto, but it goes too far here with like yeah. where he's literally the protagonist you know nothing of his backstory. Well, he's literally um, the protagonist. Is, he's credited is, as the protagonist. He's credited as, as the protagonist. You know nothing of his backstory, which isn't inherently a problem. But then the way that he just blandly does the action movie things in terms of, here's my quips, I punch things and I do all the, the tasks set in front of me. He's basically a robot that the Tenet organization has built to navigate his way through this film's plot. Yeah. If you know what if I mean? Like he, he yeah. really is that... Like the more you think about it, the more it's like this guy is yeah. so boring. He's weirdly boring and weirdly lacking in distinguishing characteristics. I mean, if we be nitpicky, I would have only one piece of feedback to give to Nolan. It's like when you're going to name your Indian characters, uh, name them better. Uh, Priya, <laughs> Priya is not an arms dealer kind of name. I'm not like intimidated by what? a chick called Priya. She was called Priya, uh, the arms dealer. Why, why in, not? In Tenen. Because it's such a cutesy, like, you know, girl next door kind of Indian name. I'm not intimidated by anyone called Priya. I'm sorry, this is just how it's And is... Jamie Lannister, Jamie's not a weird psychopath no. who goes around killing people and pushing kids out of windows. Yeah, yeah, but Jamie's still got like a diabolical nature. It's like, oh, Priya, oh, cute. All right, I don't want to, you know, and then I'm like, Priya, I, I don't know I did not take issue with the naming of a character. I That's took issue it. with the fact that she did not get nearly enough scope in that film to be one of more, yeah. and she definitely was one of the more interesting characters. All right. All right. Sure. So, cool. so we're going to be coming back next week talking all things Les Mis. Les but we should be clear, the French film. <laughs> not the musical. Not the musical. Well, that is a great musical. We'll and keep talking we, about Tenet. We, we yeah, have the, more to say. To be honest, we've just run out of time. Yeah, there's, there's more to say about Tenet. <laughs> Let it well again. There's a lot of spoiler discussion to be had. Um, are we going to be in the discussion of the past? Um, we really want to get into some of the time travel dynamics of it. It is very complex and labyrinthine, and certainly more takes and perspectives will come out in the time we've seen it. And we're curious to hear what you and others think. I'll just repeat the thing that I said about it last week, which is, it was cool. Like, I have all these yeah. nitpicks, but I always have nitpicks or even more major problems about Nolan films. It's just, and I feel this like those problems have always cool been there. Film. Yeah. It's, it's just like suddenly he's not cool. So everyone's decided to make a big thing out of the problems that have always been there. But as a whole, this is way better than Dunkirk. Yeah. It's a cool Nolan concept, you know? It's nice to see a blockbuster based around an interesting idea. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I enjoyed it. I think it barely scraped the bottom of what terms of many things it could have done. Um, I, just in terms of the way some of the female characters are depicted, um, it's it's strange to praise film to say, hey, you let someone stand in the frame as they otherwise might not would have the opportunity to. And such a low but it bar, is a novelty. But, hey, it's a good thing, which because you know, unfortunately, and this is a low standard with Hollywood's often set for themselves. We'd often see. Um, Things like this, and we don't, we don't, we don't often see films that st- even that standard. So there are great things about it, but uh, and there are strange things about it. And we're going to get into more in the coming week. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy well, movies. Yeah, enjoy whenever you're listening. Enjoy the rest of your time. Yes, whenever Forwards you're listening. And backwards. Yes, we'll go back and forth in this. Don't worry. Good night. Good night. Zing. Zing.